Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Whiskey and Whitetails podcast, episode 110. Thank you for joining us. If you like good whiskey in the great outdoors, this is the place for you. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Gus. I'm Matt. And today we have a special one for you. We're going to be listening to some in-flight audio from a little adventure recently and talking about a little hunting, a little whiskey, a little bit of everything. And I hope you enjoy it. You're a traveling man. Traveling man. That's, yeah. uh, you know what those are? What? You know, people say, uh, oh, you're a traveling man. It's a Freemason thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. A lot of people don't know many things about those folks. As they probably prefer it. Yeah. Stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do have a, a, sh- a couple of announcements. Yeah. Uh, you can use code podcast to get 20% off mm-hmm. our store. We have hats coming soon. They, they just shipped. They should be here within the week and uh lots of cool stuff if you're in the local charleston area we are like at camel's hairs camel's ass hair away from getting boxes and some packaging figured out so we can get in store so keep an ear and an eye out for that and public service announcement if um if you're hunting if you're out and about whatever it is you're doing uh, please unload your firearm before putting it in the back seat, especially mm. if you have a dog with you, so that the dog doesn't step on the trigger and kill you. Mm. Happened recently? That did happen recently. Nice. Man was killed by his dog because he had a loaded firearm, not unsafe, in his back seat. Poor dog stepped on it and killed the guy. I may or may not <laughs> have a loaded safety off shotgun in my closet, <laughs> but it's pointed down, so the cat would have to reach up and push oh, the trigger up. Oh, yeah, I guess so. so probably, you also don't have kids or anything no, else around. Kids, yeah. so. Not that that's an excuse for poor gun safety. It is a very, it is poor gun safety. I will give you that. But not advised. Not advised. Don't do that at home. Don't do that, kids. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nah, it looked pretty stupid there. Thought no, it was, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's self-defense. Yeah, it's home defense, right? is there. You don't want to have to mess yeah. with the safety. I just, I told, I told the wife, I was like, don't worry about it. It's, you know, open the closet door, reach your hand in there, grab that puppy, squeeze. Let her bark. Yeah, ready and set. That's good. <laughs> grab that puppy and let it bark. Yeah, that's fun. Joe Brighton says it's all you need for home defense. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Yeah, just fire a couple rounds up in the, in the air. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll run away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, it's not what I would do, but... You know, to each his own, I guess. I some guess. people keep un, you know, some people keep firearms in their home. Some people keep classified documents. It's whatever your prerogative is. You know, it's funny. I don't uh, have any. So I said this when Trump got <laughs> accused of it. It's not a big deal. So, uh, as a as a president, yeah, like you're gonna, they're gonna have them in there. They're probably gonna forget to store them correctly. You know, it's it's happened to every president. I don't think we've ever had. Well, I, the thing some is, some of them is, even have full email servers at home full of classified <laughs> documents. <laughs> That, uh, it's not a big deal, dude. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's true though. You're yeah. not wrong. As someone that has worked in the classified environment, they don't give you training about bringing that stuff home. It, you know, anyone could just walk in and out with it. It's totally normal for you to be caught with classified documents at your house. I've if, never done it. If if you if you're not catching the sarcasm in his voice, yeah. <laughs> I don't care who you are. 
you should be storing classified well, documents correctly. Well, we had this conversation. I had this conversation with a friend of mine, and it's you know, it's it's not something that anybody hasn't heard. But if you or I were found guilty of the same thing, prison, we'd be in prison in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, at the very least, yeah. we'd lose our jobs and everything else involved, depending on what our jobs were, or if an individual, you know, just a random Joe was found with stuff at his house he wasn't supposed to. In some spaces, if you have a CD made that has like a patch on it, mm-hmm. and then they they sign off and scan it, and they go, this is good to come in, and you bring it in there, and you put it in your computer, and you take the patches off, and then you put it, pull it back out, and you walk out of the lab with that. Yeah, you you, you will lose your job. You have You'll to be very everything. careful. There's and there's nothing. There's no d- transfer of data. It just it touched something that was classified. It yeah. literally was just like now. It's, now it's no longer allowed to leave. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a mess, but uh, sucks for those guys. That sounds like a, a pain in the ass having the FBI and Department of Justice at your house all the time looking through your shit. Yeah. Well, we're doing this on YouTube as well. So if you're here for this episode and you're watching, Hi. hello. Forgot. And uh, the reason they're here is to see the in-flight comms, I guess, and to hear the story. Yeah. So we kind I of purposely have uh, avoided asking Matt anything about the trip and the flight yeah. and everything because I wanted to hear about it on the podcast. But do you want to? Do you just want to jump right into it? Or well, let's let's do a let's do a si- uh, sip. A sip. Well, if you're new here, just the sip. This is our weekly segment mm-hmm. where we uh, take a a sample somebody sends us or that we ap- uh, acquire ourselves. We take just a sip, just one little sippy sip, and we give our opinion of it, and then we continue to drink while we continue with our show. Um, This week is, uh, was it a Stellum I saw? Yeah, Stellum. It's a single barrel rye, 116 proof. Excellent. And I'm going to go ahead and, because every week it seems that we have to add more info for you to tell us. There's no name on here. Uh, Maybe throw your name on it, because I'm not good at... (laughs) They come out the box and they sit on the shelf and then I end up here. I'll Ooh. give you a, a second a smidge. A smidge, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it smells good. But yeah, this is uh, this is just the sip. So we uh, we love whiskey and we we, we we have podcasts and guests that are heavily focused on on whiskey. But it's not all we do, so we don't want to make it the yeah you know the entire purpose of our of our podcast, which is yeah. a little bit of what what today is about. Smells delicious. Uh, and, and so I was grapes. at dinner last night. I do get some grape, green green grapes. With some people, and uh, they somebody had said uh, they were making fun of somebody that was given a class. Somebody local, not us, and uh, obviously. And the guy said a baking spice, and he was like, "Which one?" <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, it's funny." Well, now I'm never saying baking spice again. <laughs> Maybe I'll just say baking spices. Spices, yeah, plural. But then, which ones specifically? Well. I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. There's, there's a bunch of them, and, and, and they all yeah. remind me of... Flour. Yeah, I guess... Is that I, a baking spice? Well, I guess the thing to do would, Clove? Be, would be to call out a specific food or cookie or bread that it reminds you of, and then you could... You anus could, star? Star of anise. Star of anise. Anus. <laughs> Anal star? Anal star. <laughs> you know the grape follows through. It does, actually. That's, that's, inter- that's a lot of grape. It's not like Old Forester grape. It's a different kind of grape. Like, yeah, not not big league chew grape. No, like grape seed oil. Like I, I should inject this. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I get like uh, so. Sam's Club has these big containers of these giant green grapes. They call cotton candy grapes. Okay, they're really sweet and they're crunchy and they're about the size of like a gumball. Mm. They're so good, and that's what this reminds me of. Nice. Yeah, really good. Yeah, it does. Gonna- uh, it does drink. Like a rye yeah. in 116. But after our conversation uh, for uh, last week's episode with with Royce, where he, where he talked about certain distilleries masking a uh, mm-hmm. poorly distilled whiskey by calling it a rye or, or highlighting it as a rye mash bill. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, now I'm... Now you're wondering. Now I'm wondering. Well, this is I, a straight rye, I'm guessing. That, that's so. straight rye. I think straight rye from, from Stellum, so I'm not, yeah. I'm not concerned about it there, but it does remind me of that. Yeah. Well, now we have something to drink while we talk. The and show. that was just the sip. Uh-huh. Yeah, it'd be cool to to be big enough one day where we're back in the studio and we can have a live guitar player or someone that yeah, sings, sings that and plays just that. Get him to play it just out. in the corner, like yeah. on the Tonight Show and whatever. Just a little mm-hmm. band off to the side. That'd be fun. <laughs> that would be annoying, but it'd be fun. Yeah, I would do it. <clears throat> so. so 
every piece of content I'm going to make about this, that we're going to make about this, except this podcast, um, is going to tell the story of a young boy that <laughs> likes Russell's Reserve store picks, uh-huh. and he found one, and he had to have it. Just had to have and it. And his truck was in the shop. It was the perfect storm. Perfect storm. Somehow he made it to an airport that's an hour away from his house without his truck. And then... Uber. Ubered, yeah. And then booked a private flight to mm-hmm. fly to right outside Charlotte to Southern Spirits. Yep. And then uh, scavenger hunt found a... Um, Russell's reserve store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the that's the that's the narrative. That's the story you're gonna hear. And it's tough because like you can't just book a private. You you, you can't just get to like an airport and ju- yeah. a, a, and just walk on the flight line. You just can't do that. No, uh, it's hard. That actually comes up. <laughs> I told I told I told him that in flight. Did you what you said about the gate? And yeah, that's, they'll they'll hear it later. Okay, cool. You'll hear that conversation. But the truth of the matter is, if you follow the podcast, we've been talking about my friend um, Andy. That is a. Let me be clear. This is. Not my wife, Andy. This is a guy I work with, a friend of mine, Andy. But we were talking about him having a private plane. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do some stuff. And a couple weeks, a couple months ago, maybe, Stellum reached out, or Stellum, uh, Southern Spirits reached out and was like, we want to do something with you. It'd be fun or whatever. Yeah. So I think I was drinking one night, and and he had said something about flying to a bourbon release, and it just, like, clicked in my head. Why don't we do this? So I told them, I was like, if you do a Russell's store pick. Yeah. Because I knew they had, uh, it was called like leather strap or leather neck or something. It's really mm-hmm. good. Um, I've had it before. And I was like, if you if you do another store pick like that. And he was like, we actually have one. Yeah. And I was like, we'll give the pilot an opportunity to buy that. We'll make it fair. We'll do the scavenger hunt and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So that's what happened. It's, it was set up. And, and. Uh, but you guys participated in the scavenger hunt just like all yeah. the other customers. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we flew. Kind of. <laughs> Well, we had a we had a discussion. Uh, I understand that there there might have been a, a tip given, but my also under, understanding is, is that wasn't that big of a tip. It's just something that people overlook. I think that I'm going to tell the complete truth of what happened. Okay. So outside of the flight comps. Okay. That's what I think I'm going to do because it's uh, I think it's important to be truthful. So we didn't really get a tip. Okay. I later found out, but, but and so I'm going to skip that part okay. just because it's it's. Irrelevant. irrelevant. Yeah, it's irrelevant at this point. Got it. Thought we got a tip, but we didn't. But uh, anyway, so we flew. We arrived. Gus, you came and uh, we yeah. chat and met or whatever, and you filmed us taking off. And yep. you'll see the video of us flying away that Gus took that, and then I was coming down the runway, and I gave you the, the bird. <laughs> yeah. So we fly. It's a. Um, I showed that to Jessica, and she was like, "Is he giving you the bird?" I'm like, "Of course, of course he is." It, yeah. Well, well, what else? Not. What else would you expect? <laughs> this isn't. You can't do this anymore. So you have to do that. Yeah. Um. Can you? Uh, you can't. Yeah, write. I saw someone do that on a uh, on Instagram. You know, yeah. like as a parent, some some of the stuff in my feed is like parent relating stuff, and it yeah. was like a house cleaning hack, and it just showed this mom walking into each room, and like one room she gave the finger to to the room, the next room she walked in, she uh, she did like the Italian like whatever yeah. whatever that was, and then the next room she did the degeneration X like suck yeah. it thing, and that that was her cleaning hack. That was my <laughs> shit, dude. I got I got so many fights over that thing. <laughs> I did it to my dad once, and I thought he was gonna kill me. It's so dumb, though. It is, but it's like you know, back then, you know, it was you know being a young if, kid. Yeah, just a different generation of parents. I think if I was going toe to toe with one of my kids and they did that to me, I think I'd be upset, but I th- I also think I would laugh. It's like the <laughs> you're lucky these are my soft, fleshy hands. My dad used to hit me with a two by four. <laughs> was that generation, <laughs> and then and now we're like you're lucky. I'm just paddling on you on the butt. My dad used to hit me in the yeah. face. Here's a p- iPad. Go sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Right, no iPad for four hours. Yeah, but so okay. we flew. So you'll I hit home. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you so get yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. You get the rest. You get the whole in-flight conversation, which we talk about the plane and and kind of um, Andy's history and flight and stuff like that. So that that's coming at the end of this. Of, we're we'll we're going to talk that. like thirty minutes, and then and then you'll you'll get thirty minutes of in-flight conversation. So we landed. Um, Got a rental car, which I didn't have to put gas in. That's how quick we were in and out. No shit. But it was pretty nice to take off. We The store opens at 9, and we were late. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to do? And so I texted him, and I was like, we're not going to make the scavenger hunt deal. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we had prearranged for that bottle for the whatever. And I was like, I'm not going to get anything, I guess, because so as soon as I walked in the door, I had the camera rolling and I was, and I, I called him and I was like, is everything found or is there anything left? And he was like, everything's found. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. So I had promised I wouldn't ask them for anything. Right. And I didn't plan to until he took me to the back room and was like, this is where we make content. And I walk in there and it's just, they had the vertical, they had all the pappy, all the, mm -hmm. you know, everything. But they probably had like 20 boxes of wild turkey, master's keep. What? <laughs> yeah. 20 boxes? Yeah. So I was like, look, man, I just hate to fucking ask this, but I did fly here. Is there any way <laughs> I could buy a master's keep? And he was like, it's not my call. I have to call the owner. And at that point, I was good. Because what they didn't know is they were out of town or something. Yeah. And I had emailed them, and the owner called me because he has an airport or a landing strip in his backyard. That's right. You told me that. Yeah. So he we talked about planes and yeah. all kinds of stuff. And he was like, well, I'm pretty hands-off. I'm going to let the, the guys handle it. But I knew that that's who he was calling. So I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, we're good to go. I was like, and I apologize for even asking because I said I wouldn't. Sure. And, I, and I'm not that kind of guy. I'm never right. going to ask for Pappy. But no, everybody we, knows what we've, Wall we've, Turkey's we've talked about this ad nauseum. We're not the types to walk into it and – we get the things that we find by finding them like everyone else and building relationships. Yep. And that's, yep. This is a good example. Yeah. This was, this was building. It was, we, we I cheated a little, we, we threw an ask, Yeah, but it was after building a relationship. Yes. And it's like, we're making all this content and yeah. stuff and they're going to be in it. Sure. Um, other than this, I mean, we're telling the story of this, but every piece of content we're going to put out, is going to have them in it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a pretty even trade. But, I mean, I paid full price for it, two hundred and some dollars. You know, it's yeah, not it's like, like I got yeah, it. Yeah, it's like you asked for a, yeah. for a discount. But um, they had that, and they had that Jack Daniels, that one thirty two nine that I love, that single barrel, <clears throat> the straight nanner. That's all you get yeah. when you smell that thing. Mm -hmm. I love it. But they had that JW Dant. They had a bunch of store picks I picked up. Got a Hill Rock Estate that was a hundred twenty uh, some dollars. Uh, yeah, um, Solera too, which I'm not really a huge mm -hmm. Solera fan. I never, but, I never finished that one that you actually gave. To, you actually gave me a Solera finished, yeah. uh, and I never finished either. Well, this one is better than that. Okay. I will say that. That's fair. I'll, just, I'll bring it in one day. And then I got a Wathens, which I've never had, and everybody keeps talking about Wathens, and it's in like the Elmer T. Lee shaped bottle. So yeah, I think that's probably why people keep talking about it. Sure. I don't know, but um, yeah. So we did that, and then we were in and out, man. It's like we forgot. We both forgot sunglasses, so I went to. Um, like a grocery or a gas station and bought like $14 sunglasses. And then our c company car was declined, of course. So I guess my car's bad now too. Oh, jeez, man. Yeah. What a nightmare. I, yeah. Um, so I had to pay for that with cash. And then it was $200 in, in fuel. When we got there, he, he was full when we left. So when we got there, I filled up and mm -hmm. it was $200. And that's pretty much what it cost us to nice. do this. Um, which is expensive. It's cost more to probably not. Honestly, with the cost of diesel, yeah, it may not might have been, been about the same. Yeah, it might have, but yeah. So it was two hundred dollars plus, you know, whatever we bought there. Yeah, yeah, and then sunglasses. That that's all it cost. Cool. But it was nice to be able to fly there, rental car there. The rental car was hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, which turns out they had courtesy cars, and because we were so quick, we could have just used a courtesy card to like to run into town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll do that next time. But Andy couldn't drink while we were there. They gave me a couple samples of stuff. Um, so he's like, next time we do this, can we stay overnight so I can drink stuff too? And I was yeah, like, absolutely. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So he wants to go to Kentucky next. So I think fly to Kentucky would oh, be pretty cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. Which really leads me back to we should buy, like, Chad a car and just be like, drive it every once in a while, keep it running. And just and to keep, then have we, it, keep <laughs> a vehicle up there? Yeah. And then when we're in town, just <laughs> drop it off in Louisville for us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, they have they have like an Airbnb for vehicles now. You can oh, you can they? borrow vehicles from people and pay. Them. Oh yeah, they have like a Toro or whatever. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Or they bring it to the the only thing is it's a little. I tried to use it, so I actually tried to use it in Kentucky when uh, last year or whenever it was that we, my uncle passed away and I had to go to Louisiana for the funeral. That I mm -hmm. met you guys in Kentucky. Yeah. <clears throat> and flights got delayed, and I ended up stuck in Tennessee overnight. And I tried to get a. Uh, I tried to I tried to use that app to get like a last minute vehicle to borrow, and just drive up there and then drive it back and and fly back and or whatever I was gonna do and uh, I got it approved and then last minute they just canceled it they're like eh, I decided to use my yeah. car this weekend so that's something you gotta plan for but yeah there's the options like that 
I actually remember that happening, but I thought it was like a real company, not. No, I I did I it, it <laughs> so you're not wrong. I got I had made a reservation and I got to the airport when I landed to get my rental car and they were like, "Oh yeah, we we don't have a car for you." I'm like, "Yeah, but you <laughs> you approved." Yeah, I have a confirmation. I, I have a confirmation number yeah. and and like and stuff. And like, "Yeah, but we just don't we just don't have a car." And this is like the height of COVID. It was it was also cars. like eleven o'clock at night. I had no. been flying all fucking day. I had been from Lake Charles, Louisiana, to I think Atlanta, and then to Tennessee, and it was just like one layoff after and cancellation That's after crazy another. You, isn't it like straight up? You could have just yeah. Went straight no, I'm sorry. Up. It was Lake Charles to Dallas. Dallas. I hate Dallas. Yeah. I hate flying into Dallas. And there's a huge layover there, and then Dallas to uh, I think it was what what's what's just south? Is it Knoxville? That's yeah, right there. Knoxville. So into into Knoxville. That's where we dropped the car off. It's yeah, Knoxville. it's just yeah. in Knoxville. And so then I, the next morning I had to call an enterprise and get an Uber to an enterprise in town. It was just a giant mess. You know, Dallas is the first big airport I ever went to. When I left basic training, they flew me to Dallas, and mm-hmm. then I had a layover to San Angelo. And uh, I remember sitting in there with my little brown packet and my, <laughs> like, razor-burnt face, and <laughs> I would just gotten out of basic training, and I was everybody's like, thank you for your service. I'm like, I haven't even done anything. I literally am leaving basic training right now. But other people that were, yeah, anyway. Fuck Dallas. Uh, <laughs> stupid. I've flew never back. had a good experience there, so. Yeah, me neither. I don't like it. We flew back. To, we talk about the, the flight and uh, how fast it goes and all that stuff. So all that all that's coming. Yeah, yeah. And the next part of it. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So we ended up getting a bunch of stuff, and I made some content. And it was definitely the more efficient way to travel. So I'll tell this part, and then we'll kick it over. So on the way back, we're flying over kind of something like Monk's Corner, Somerville area, and he says, uh, you want to fly? And I, I don't. <laughs> but but I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I'm not one to say, I'm, you know, I'm a yes man. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, okay. And he was like, so just grab a hold of it. And he was like, I want you to, uh, you know, find a rivet on the windshield. And I want us to decline at 500 feet per minute. So there's a a dial that shows, like, your decline. He's like, so just push in, and it'll bring the nose down some. And once you get to 500, kind of stop it from going any further. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I, like, push in, and I get – it's like, you don't have to go that far, and um, we're declining at 500, Mm -hmm. right? And then – and so I'm like, cool. So I'm looking for the rivet in the horizon that he told me, and he's like, no, I want you to kind of bank a little left. He's like, just slowly. don't, Don't yank it. I'm like, okay. So I'm turning left, and he goes, hey, are you looking at your descent? I was like, no. And I looked down, and now we're at 1,000 feet oh, no. per second, so per, minute, per minute. And I'm like, oh, shit. And he's like, it's okay. Don't fr- don't freak out. He's like, the worst thing you can do is freak out. Everything needs to be smooth and practice. Mm-hmm. He's like, what I want you to do is look outside, look left, look right, look at your gauges. Look outside, look left, look right. He's like, just keep doing that. So he's like, Turn in, find a spot. I want you to point towards that, and let's get the nose headed that way, mm-hmm. 500 foot. And I'm like, okay. So I'm getting it, you know. And then he's like, now I want you to turn the other way and turn a little harder. As we come into that turn, we hit turbulence, <laughs> which is the first time we've hit turbulence in that plane, Okay, period. And so it made me feel something. I don't know what I felt. I don't know if it was fear. Yeah. Like, I don't recall ever feeling that way. But I was like, I'm going to kill this dude on accident. I'm going to, I'm going to like this poor man's family. You know what I mean? Like all that starts <laughs> rushing through your head. Like they're like, I fucking knew, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I felt bad. And, uh, but I wasn't going to be like, you, you fly now. So yeah. I just, I just held on and I was like, fuck it. Just we're, we're here. here huh? And, uh, it eventually got so bad. He was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take over. And I was like, yeah, all right, that's fine. He's like, you did good though. He's like, it's, uh, it's, it's because of the. Whatever we were flying over, he's like mm-hmm. the air ground temperature changes and it creates turbulence. But he was telling, he was like, this part isn't in the conversation, but he said, it's it's just like driving down the road. He's like, some roads are smooth and you're driving down the road and it's smooth sailing. Yeah. He's like, sometimes you're in a little bumpy road. And he's like, sometimes you hit a pothole. And he's like, and that happens up here too. And you look out the wings to make sure your wings didn't break off. And they didn't. <laughs> then you're good to go. Just yeah. keep flying. He's like, you know, check it when you get back. See how bad it was. Right. He's like, but some roads are smooth, some roads are bumpy. It's not a big deal. He's yeah. like, it's just staying calm and collected. So I started looking up videos of pilots, like, you know, Handling later shit. that evening. Yeah. It's wild, man. Like, the plane's like, <laughs> you know, and the pilot's just like, all calm, cool, and collected, like, no big deal. Gotta I wonder be. how long that takes 
to build I don't know, that. man. I think it's um, I think it's probably, and if you talk to an instructor, it's probably something that they they have over time figured out a way to instill through yeah. just constant um, I exposure think they to it and, and, and just constantly. Uh, I don't think it's dangerous. Well, that's the other thing is, is, you know, they say if you read statistics, you know, flying is supposed to be yeah, safer than driving. He says that in here. He said that the, the plane wants to fly. Yeah. It doesn't. He was like, you, you can get it up in the air and don't touch anything. And it'll go until you hit the ground or hit, hit a mountain or run out of fuel. Right. He's like, the plane wants to fly. Right. And so he was like this. It's, it's got, all it's just got air propulsion and it's got lift. You. Yeah. And it, that's what it wants to do. Um, but like I've seen videos of... Um, there's a really good video of a a young a young lady. She's like 14 maybe, uh, and she's doing her first solo flight, and has a major like a major problem, mm-hmm. and she's coming back in, and the towers is talking her through it, and they get her instructor on, yeah. and, so, and she, I think there's something wrong with the landing gear maybe, or she lost an engine, and talks her through it, and she's. Dude, she sounded so calm and the whole time listening to me. I would be, I'm a grown man, I'd yeah. be freaking the fuck out. And she's just like giving them readings back. And uh, they did a very, you know, kudos to them for staying calm and keeping her mind occupied on the task at hand, not the what ifs. And I think that's, I think when you, what he was saying, like, look, look outside, look left, right, look mm-hmm. at your gauges, keep yourself engaged in the process. And you have no choice but to stay calm because you're, you're engaged the whole time. Yeah. I think that makes sense. But with that, We'll kick it over. Also, just a couple notes. Um, I can't hear very well. So there's times he says things, and I don't hear him say it. And mm-hmm. so then I will, re- I will like, one, for instance, one time he talks about uh, flying. And I was like, oh, they didn't care. And he was like, well, it was private. And they also don't care what I do with my own money. I was like, oh, your own money. So you're flying private then. I didn't hear him say private. There's moments right. like that. Um, That's understandable. I, you're, you're in an, air, yeah. an aircraft. And, and there's some stuff I couldn't grasp. It's because it's like you guys are going to hear it perfectly clear, and it, you're going to be like, "How does he not understand what he's saying?" It's just it's a, it was me. I can't hear that. Well. You, you guys both have an engine yeah. on either side of you. So it's yeah. loud, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, and uh, my noise canceling thing didn't work till like halfway back because the batteries are dead, and I didn't know that. Oh damn. Yeah. So, but anyway, the contents font's good. It's good information if you've ever been curious about aeroplanes. Cool. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Matt enjoyed it. Hopefully, I can hop on the next one we do and. Yeah, you guys enjoy. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Yep, have a great day. Bye. All right, so we get to the end here. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. There's a checklist. We run up the engines a little bit. Double check things. Yep, so I hold short here. Get my little checklist. So brakes are set. Got electronic trim, so that's my manual trim. Oh wow, they moved that you know, I can use this oh, to set it. So that's all working. Uh, trim set for takeoff, flight controls, I check them again. So what I'm looking for is I, each one of those should move the ailerons out on the wing. And then I look back and I can see my elevator. It's all free, nothing's binding. So that's how I check my flight controls. Altimeter set, size set. Looks like instruments are all set. Atmixture coming best power. Bringing up the engines 1500 RPMs. We're going to check those props. They, they can actually rotate and feather. So they can change the pitch. So I bring this up to 1500 thereabouts. Kind of hear that, that change in the engine. On the, now we're just cycling engine oil into those props so that they're well lubricated in case we need them. All right, now we're going to go up to 2200 RPMs. We're going to check the ignition system. So this runs off of dual ignitions. So we're just going to make sure that both of those ignitions work. So left engine, left mag. I want to see a drop in the RPMs. Bring the mag back on, it comes back up. Left engine, right mag. Drop in RPMs. Comes back up. Right engine, left mag. Drop in the RPMs. Comes back up. Right engine, right mag. Drop in RPMs. Comes back up. Now I just look at all my other instruments. Everything's in the green. I can do a full idle check to make sure both engines stay operating at minimum power. Do.
uh, come back up to about a thousand RPM as we like to run that. Double check my checklist, I did everything correctly. Alright, flaps are zero, props high RPM, mixture best power, fuel pumps coming on. Now flaps are open, transponders on, squawking. ID bug set, doors, windows, push up here. Those are good, my window's good. Alright, all my switches are good, looks good. You ready? I'm ready. Alright, so I'm gonna get out here, run up the engines a little bit just to make sure, and then I'll slowly bring them forward, raise the brakes. Within about a thousand feet, we'll be airborne, and uh, on our way. Sounds good to me. Alright, let me make the call. Somerville traffic, as Alpha Mike, departing runway 6, Somerville. Alright, look at my scope, nobody's on the scope, nobody's on final. Go. Alright, lined up, brakes set. Bring them up together. Watching my instrumentation, everything looks good. Release brakes. Alright, so I got full throttle and making full power. Airspeed's alive, instrumentation is green. 80 miles per hour, rotate. We're airborne, tap the brakes. Positive rate of climb, gear coming up. Gears up. What is that? Uh, it's either the uh, is that, Volvo. Is that Google? Or the, that's Volvo. That's Volvo. Pretty sure that's Volvo. And then that's the big Walmart distribution center over there to the left. As we were leaving, it was funny. Gus, uh, he said, in order to get access to the air, you have to drive to a place, and the only thing that stops you from getting into the air is a fence. <laughs> Once you're through the fence, then you can get into the air. Like there's nothing. There was nothing else that stopped us. We right. Could, like we could have brought any cargo we wanted. We could have done anything we wanted. Nobody would have stopped us. Right. It was just the air. Yeah. It's fascinating. So when was the first time you were in the Air Force? When was the first time you flew a plane? Uh, sometime early 1997. 1997. Yep. So I joined, I joined the Air Force in 1996, December of 96. Um, actually, it'd be late 97 because I went to tech school uh, for about 10 months in Biloxi, Mississippi, and then when I got to Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, for my actual first duty station, they had an aero club. And so, late 1997 is probably when I took my first flight. So you were in for a year, and they were letting you fly that quick? Well, I mean, it's all private, so yeah. if I want to spend my money, they don't, they don't really care. Oh, you flew private then? Yeah, so I wasn't, I didn't do any kind of flying in the Air Force officially. It was just uh, private. What made you want to do it, just being around planes? I've been around planes my whole life. My dad was in the Air Force, uh, and then when he retired, he worked for various companies in uh, aeronautics and space. Uh, worked for Grumman, built the Tomcat, so... Um, you worked on the Tomcats? He worked on the Tomcats. Uh, I never did, but... Um, that's a wild-ass plane. My grandmother and my dad both worked on the Tomcat. In fact, um, I don't remember which birthday it was. It was seven or eight years old, and I was having like a little party with friends. My grandmother knew all the test pilots because she worked in the cockpit. My dad was a sheet metal mechanic. So somehow she arranged for the test pilots that were doing a flight that day to basically buzz my party two F-14s. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. They were like, this is the day. Yeah. What, I mean, pl what planes did you work on? Mostly heavy aircraft, transports. Gotcha. C C-130s, 135s. C-17s, C-5s. Have you ever been hunting? I've never actually been hunting. Would you be interested in going duck hunting? Oh, sure. I mean... Just shoot a shotgun in the sky? Yeah. I've just never done it. I mean, I've been around a lot of people that do hunt, but... We're planning a duck hunt if you want to go. Okay. It'll be in the fall. But you do like bourbon. I do like bourbon. All right, let me call Charleston real quick. Charleston approach Aztec 3... Mike Charles, yeah, it's 10 miles to the north of Somerville, passing 5,000 for uh, 
8,500 en route to Echo Quebec Yankee. Looking for flight follow-up, please. Five aircraft, It's a PA-27. Reset transponder, squawk 1625. 1625. Radar contact about uh, 12 miles northeast of Central Airport. The Charles Mountain, 3018, maintain VFR and climb to your request altitude 8,500. What's your current altitude? Passing 5,800 for 8,005, maintain VFR. Making a reasonable navigation, thank you. So, yeah, this is uh, what I like to do. I find it very peaceful. It is peaceful up here. November, uh, contact Shaw personnel 125.4, 125.4, good day. Over to Shaw 125.4, good day. Good morning, Shaw approach, Aztec 3, passing 6,300 for 8,005. November 3, Shaw approach, he's Shaw under 3018. 3018. Who are you talking to? So now I'm talking to Shaw. So air traffic controllers, initially I checked on with Charleston Airport. So this is what's called flight following. Um, they, they're not technically in control of me. I can cancel at any time and do what I want. But because the airspace can be busy up here and uh, there's a lot of airplanes, flight following allows the air traffic controllers to kind of just observe you. And they'll, they'll help with traffic avoidance. And they'll, they'll recommend, like, hey, there's a restricted area up here. You might want to you're off to the right or something like that. Yeah. And then if, if there was any kind of emergency, I'm already talking to somebody. I can just instantly call and they can help me. And they know you're up here. Right. And they'll point me like, hey, turn right 90 degrees and Bunk's Corner is right there. We could land in the water. We could. I wouldn't recommend it. Is that a rough landing? No, actually, surprisingly, as long as you keep the gear up. Yeah. But. Would they let you land at Shaw in the event of emergency? In the emergency, yeah. In emergency... That's one of the only clauses in like all the regulations that says in the in an emergency you can kind of break rules, right? So they want to save you and your passengers. So typically, no, you can't land at Shaw. But if I was above Shaw and I had a, an emergency, I'm putting it down wherever. So I'm coming down. I'm just telling them, sorry, I'm, I'm coming in. <laughs> Afterwards, they may, you know, talk to me about it, ask me about my decision making and whether or not that was the best decision. But but you'll be alive to have that conversation. Exactly. You land on 26 if you wanted to? Yes. And if you're in Alaska, you could regularly land on roads. It's crazy knowing that all of the low country at one time is underwater. Because in Colombia, they have there's sand beaches in Colombia. And they find like megalodon teeth between Colombia right. and the mountains. But it's wild to be right here and look out and know that this is all underwater at one point. You can totally tell it's flat, super flat. All right, there's 7,500,000 foot to go. So tell me about the airplane. So this is a 1968 Piper Aztec. Um, it's a D model. So they, over the years, they changed A model to C. Uh, they stopped making the Aztecs after the F. Um, Twin-engine light, light twin aircraft. Two, uh, 250 horsepower engines. Not the fastest airplane in the world. Meant to carry a lot of cargo. So sixth place, probably carry about 2,000 pounds. They say if you can fit it in the airplane, it'll fly. Never tested that theory, but... We were talking before that uh, drug runners use this type of plane. This type of airplane is definitely uh, desirable by anybody that wants to carry a lot of uh, cargo. Well, hopefully we, we fill this thing to the gills with bourbon on the way back. There you go. That's two motors. How much horsepower for each motor? 250. And how fast are we going right now? I don't know where the... So we're in a we're in a climb about 600 feet per minute climb, and we're doing 129 knots across the ground. So um, I don't know 140 miles per hour across the ground. Air speeds a little bit differently right now. I'm indicating that we're doing about 170 175 miles per hour through the air. That's wild. I mean, hopefully our GoPro is still there. <laughs> What's some things people that would find interesting about airplanes that most people don't know? They, they are surprisingly easy to fly. Um, obviously, a lot of things can go wrong. That's not the usual, but they can go wrong. But day in, day out, they, they are very easy to fly. Like, you know, hands off, I'm not doing anything, and it's it wants to fly straight and level. So if the airplane is well-maintained, it really will just fly on its own and 
be happening. You just slowly move each implement in order to make tiny changes. Yep, that's actually the biggest thing when people first start to fly is that they think that you have to really, you know, like a video game, you might yank on the controls to get what you need, but it doesn't take much. In reality, it's straight line. Under 3020. So right now we're leveling off at 8,500 feet. I'm kind of configuring the aircraft for cruise, trying to get down my fuel burn so that we're not burning so much fuel. Slowly reducing the Contact Myrtle Beach Approach 127.4. Over Approach 127.4 on our Cargo 24. Have a good weekend. You too. So is that kind of like humming? Contact Myrtle Beach the humming up and down is causing that. So that's the difference between the two propellers. Ah. So modern twins will have a prop sync automatically. They'll sync them up to where it's one pulse. We're probably as close as I'm going to get it without having a some kind of automatic prop sync. Um, when they're really out, it's actually kind of sickening because it'll mess with the, the pressure. So the idea is you want to hear kind of one pulse together. Yeah. And that's when they're synced up best you can. So this is fuel? Right. So you have your throttle, which is basically air. These are your prop pitch. And then the red knobs are your mixture, so the amount of fuel you're putting into the motor. And that's like... Normal car GPS. Basically. And how old is it? This is it from 1968. No, surprisingly, when I first started flying in 1997, they had those. Oh, really? So it is a it is a old component, and it is a precision GPS called uh, has WAS capable, so it, it it picks up signals from satellites and from ground stations, and so it uses the ground stations to augment the accuracy of the uh, satellite GPS signals. So it allows me, if necessary, to do very precise approaches and instrument conditions. Will this plane do a barrel roll? Uh, technically, I think it would. I've never tried it. I probably wouldn't recommend trying it. You could over-G the airplane, and then you have a... Not a good idea. You, know, you should go really high metal. in case you stall out or something. I mean, I think I could do it without crashing us, but the airplane may not fly right yeah. after that. And it's it's not designed for... Uh, the utility or acrobatic category. What does that knob do? So it's my heading bug. So right now I've actually got it on the heading hold. So it'll just keep me flying where that little orange, what we call the heading bug is. And then this is our track. So that, that magenta line you see on there, that represents that if that yellow bar is in between those two, then I'm on my line that I wanted to be on. Interesting. So with the winds and everything, every now and then, this is my desired track to the destination. That's my current track. So right now, I'm going a little bit more to the right than what I want to be. And as you fly, the winds will change a little bit. I'll just keep adjusting that so that we're staying on my desired track. There's really nothing that we would fly into as far as like airspace that's restricted or kind of a military operating area on this route. Yeah, it looks like we're skirting all yeah, those so bubbles. That's the military operating area that I am avoiding by coming to this waypoint. Um, we're getting ready to fly over Shaw, which is right there. That's Shaw Air Force Base. So this uh, iPad-looking thing, is that cell phone or GPS? Um, so it's actually pulling uh, signals from this, getting ground signals from that. It's what they call it, ADS-B. Fancier avionics will have all this kind of stuff built in. But it's very expensive, and I have not gone that route yet. Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast. Okay. So this transponder is broadcasting by exact altitude and GPS position, and other airplanes can see that. So like this airplane right here, I can see that because it's broadcasting that information. So I can kind of click on it and see what the tail number is. Delta it's Airlines. Delta 1319. They're, uh, they're doing 500 knots right now, so they're cruising. They're up at 37,000 feet. So that helps me avoid airplanes that are in my area. That's a lot of planes. Yeah, they're they're not all close to us. They're way up. These are all airlines. Like, that's a guy that's you know, pretty low. But How many planes in the air you think are doing something versus just out fucking around? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, a lot of times I'm just out fucking around, so... 
I think a lot of folks want to quote unquote have a mission. They want to do something for a purpose instead of just flying around. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I just want to go fly. The, it's good therapy for me. It's relaxing. I definitely get it. Call it altitude therapy. So we've got a little bit of headwind. So right now our ground speed is 153 knots. Somebody could do the math and convert that to 160 some miles per hour. Um, in the air, we're doing 190 miles per hour in the air. What is that? That is a lightning strike finder. So it'll it'll put a dot if they're detected lightning. Ah. The weather off to our left doesn't look too great. I don't know why I thought this would be a bumpy ride, but it's not at all. It can be, but typically winter time frame is nice and smooth, but usually visibility can be less. It's more bumpy in the summer? Yep. Summer, the, the sun's heating the, the surface. The bumps come from the uneven of the surface, so flat farmlands will absorb the heat more than a forest. Huh. If you fly over a big parking lot, you're going to get a lot of radiant heat, so you're going to get the bumps. Wow. Didn't I know that? Typically, at higher altitudes, those things don't really affect you too much, but it still can happen. There's a Shaw Air Force Base right there. That's bigger than I thought it was. Sumner is, you can't see it, but I can just make out Sumner Airport. What do they do at Shaw? Uh, F-16s, I think. The fighter base. Are they part of the Coastal Watch or whatever? Probably. They're probably one of the first. So if you look out there to the left, it, it looks like visibility is very poor. But all of these green dots are what the airports are reporting. According to that, they're all reporting nice weather conditions, what we call VFR, visual flight rules. So, will the sun burn that off? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that may be what's coming to us later tonight. I told you, like, in the, the early to late evening, yeah. there in Charleston, it's supposed to get kind of crappy. So that, that just might be that weather system headed our way. And we just hope the forecasters were correct and that, you know, we make it back. Crazy to me, this is like a three and a half hour drive, and we're doing it in 45 minutes. Yep. So we've got about 30 minutes to go. Actually, less than 30 minutes. We've got 20 minutes to go if everything stays the same. So what do the, the foot, feet control the, the tail, what we call the rudder? Yeah. So that'll kick the, the nose around. So if, if, if there was a strong wind of one way or the other, we, we could point to counteract that wind. Correct it. And in a twin, if you lose an engine, you need that rudder to keep yourself flying. Great. It's also not as cold up here as I thought it was going to be. It can get really cold, so right now the outside air temperature is 8 degrees Celsius. 8? Oh, Celsius. <laughs> yeah. What's that Fahrenheit? 40. Yep. Is that what that is? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. They were like, where do we want to put this uh, grill thermometer? Let's just drill a hole. Right. Through the windshield. Yeah. No big deal. So it's a pretty quiet morning. Are we really flying straight north? Just about. That's crazy. You would think straight north would be putting us towards Myrtle Beach, not inland South Carolina. So we're, we've got a wind that's coming off of our left a little uh, bit. So the airplane's kind of pointing a little bit left to north. But... According to the magnetic compass, we're, we're heading almost due north. Have you read about the poles switching? What would happen to an airplane if the poles switched? Like if it switched right now? I don't think anything would happen. Except for the cosmic I mean, blast of radiation that, fry your well, electronics. Yeah. If that truly happened, then we'd probably be all dead anyways. But some kind of electromagnetic pulse, then we'd be lucky. The engines... In theory, should keep running because they're not—they're not being driven by electrical, like battery-type power. But there's so many resistors and capacitors and stuff in line that you never know it, something could fry and cause them to stop. So if we lost all gauges and everything, you'd still be able to land. Yeah. So these things are all—they're not electrical. Right. So as long as I had these three primary instruments. Shows my attitude, my altitude, airspeed. Um, 
I'd be fine. Even if I didn't have the airspeed, I'd be fine. Because you can kind of, well, for one, this didn't fry. I've got another speed on there. But you kind of feel, I know what power setting gets me the speeds I want. It might not be a pretty landing, but I think we could get down just fine. And you could see you could see an airport from, right. it would be easy to just point or land this guy's field over here. That's part of the training they do is they'll cover up some of these instruments and uh, have you fly so that you're not dependent on something. Or I'm using this, but they may make me turn that off so that I'd have to focus on the other instruments. Yeah. So when you're in an airplane, they tell you to put your phone in airplane mode? Is that for all these sensors and stuff? Yeah. I never do that. I don't, I don't feel like nobody does that anymore. So I think, obviously, back in the... They just did not know what would happen with all of those signals. It would interfere um, if there's any kind of induced voltages that it could somehow mess up the flight instruments. Um, I think they just stick with it now, just in case. But yeah, they've done so many tests that it doesn't doesn't interfere. With it. I kind of figured that it didn't matter. Because so, I know that it's for uh, air for uh, altitude. It's in the back of the plane, and that's like the most sensitive instrument they have and it bounces off the ground but it's a different frequency than what cell phones operate at so they don't even know each other exists let me call these guys real quick and approach that stick next turn to be a part of that maintain bfr i'm just going to bring the throttle back a little bit we'll just start nosing over is this vhf you're on uh yes what channel so I'm on 125.4. That's just that's the channel everybody uses. Traffic two o'clock one three miles southwest bound altitude indicates 4,500. Looking for traffic. So somebody is either landing or departing this airport, and they're headed towards us. So she's kind of given that's part of that flight following, because I may not have noticed that, but because we started to descend. Now, she's thinking, hey, depending on how fast I descend or if they're climbing, we could potentially meet. But they're 3,000 feet below us, and they're still 11 miles away. There's no factor at all. We, we can't even see them. Is it a private plane? What's that? Is it a private plane? Yeah, it looks like it. Is that the tail number? Yep. That's wild. In fact, I can't even really see the airport that coming from, so... The only way at this distance you would ever see it, if it started to turn and the sun hit the, you know, fuselage and gave us like a flash, yeah, we'd see it. But all right, so as we're doing a little descent here, I'll just look at where we're landing, kind of get set up for that. Plan for runway zero five. Uh, we'll maybe cross over into the left traffic for zero five. That'll be our plan. Pattern altitude be about eighteen hundred feet. So for now, I'm going to come down to about 3,000 feet, and we'll level off, try to slow it down. Right now, we're doing 195 miles per hour. Cruiser. What's the fastest this plane will go? So it, this one does have turbos. They're they're currently not working. I've got an air leak, so they're not boosting. But with the turbos running, uh, 220. 220? Miles per hour, yeah. Man. That's a... Uh... In the car world, 200 miles per hour means you're a supercar. Yeah, and that's kind of slow. And well, I take that back. I mean, 200 knots um, is like a a nice goal. Like you have a 200 knot airplane, you can get places pretty well. So, um, was there between knots and miles per hour? Knots is just what they stuck with as an aviation standard, you know, internationally. So that everybody used the same exact. Comes from the maritime days and. Um, it has also to do with the divisions of you know, the latitude longitude. Over to Charlotte, one two zero zero five. Charlotte protesting. Uh, Five thousand six hundred descending to three thousand. Testing. Cruise up to three zero two three. Three zero two three. So nine miles to our waypoint, which was just a navigation marker that I picked so I can stay away from this military area. And then we'll turn towards the airport. And then from there, it'll just be another uh, 37 miles or 15 minutes.
What is that? That's a air the that we're gonna fly right over an airport. Is that what it is? Yeah. So that's just the ring that kind of shows the boundary of that airport. Um, and they don't care if you fly over it. No, there's different classifications. Uh, class E uh, is is kind of like a most of the airports, but the big airports are being class Bravo. So you see how much that blue compasses. There's so many small airports around that. Yeah, there's different, they call it like an upside down wedding cake. So dead center around the airport is from the surface. In this case, um, from the surface all the way to 10,000 feet, you have to get permission to get in there. But then as you go out, okay, I could fly under 1,800 feet, and then you come out, I can fly uh, under 5,000, so it, it tears out. So where we're going, I have to be below 6,000 feet, um, or have their permission. If I, don't, if I don't have their permission, I can't go in there. So, and which one of these is the altimeter? Right here. So, so that's nine. So the, the nine little, little guy first, we're at 5,900. Oh. And if this big one was past the one, that's 10,000. What is that? Why is that moving? Just because we're descending. Oh, okay. So this is a, a vertical speed. So these are in hundreds. So we're at right about 500 feet per minute down. So in one minute, will be 500 feet. So that's less. This is not hundreds, that's like 20, like 70, 60, 50. No, that's, seven, that's so that's 4,700. Ah. Uh, and then, so. And then the, I get it now. Yeah. It's like a real clock. Yep. I didn't realize they were working together. So it, this is hand crank and electric. electric. Yep. So what it does is it deploys a little trip tab and then the air pressure then holds the elevator at a certain angle based on that. So I don't have to actually hold the controls to do what I want it to do. So do both of these flaps move? Or is that just one flap? So that's an aileron all the way out there. Okay. In inboard from that is the flaps, and we will deploy the flaps when we get closer and start slowing down. Um, but yeah, the ailerons both will move, but they'll move in opposite. So you don't use those to fly? Only to yeah, so they're just not doing anything because we're flying straight. Yeah. We start to turn here in a second. We're going to make a turn. Um, I'll film the turn. Yeah, one of them will. You got about thirty seconds. One of them will uh, go up. One of them will go down, and that forces the the wing to spin. Huh. So what controls elevation? In the back, the tail. Oh, so the elevator goes up and down. So I know the that. ailerons control roll, elevator controls pitch, and then uh, the rudder controls yaw. I didn't know that. That makes a lot of sense, though. That it would be from the back. The, the planes that have a prop in the back, still the same operation? Yeah. They they just, their location of things, and they may have like a, what they call like uh, elevons, where their elevators are also ailerons. It's crazy because, like, I didn't know what to expect, but it's just like being in a real, like, a big-ass jet. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Right, it's quieter. It's not as loud as a jet. Right. Right, listen to some of the weather. Four Celsius. Altimeter 3023. Remarks. Density altitude minus 1,000. Monroe Airport. Automated weather observation. 1323. Zulu. Wind zero five zero at zero six. Visibility one zero. Sky condition clear. Temperature zero two Celsius. Dew point minus zero four Celsius. Altimeter three zero two three. Alright, so we have the weather, we know what the winds are doing. Planning on runway zero five. You turn that on or did it by itself? I turned it on. So I tuned in. This tells me what that frequency is, and it's broadcasting that weather information. So I tuned it into our second radio, and then listened to it. Now we're now we're good. So where's this airport? Are we right over it, or I just don't see it? Uh, yeah, it's actually right there. Oh wow! Sometimes it's really hard to see because the trees obscure the runway. And that's like same place we took off from, like an executive airport. Yeah, just a little private, or not private, uh, regional airport. All right. So what do the numbers mean? Like that has a nine. So that's the magnetic heading. So nine means you're going to be on a heading of zero nine zero. So if we landed on runway straight ahead right now, it would be you know like three four zero or three four. They dropped the zero. 
Gotcha. So we're going to land on runway zero 05, which means it'll be at the. So you got to like go that way, zero. come in. Yeah. Um, we're going to fly probably straight across the middle, turn and then land. Do they tell you which way to land, or you can you know? Based on winds, and then I'm looking right now. There's airplanes in the pattern. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.